We should um, actually get started with our conversation, yep. huh? Yep. Sight to Studio episode eight. You were meant to be like episode two or something, man. Yeah, I was. Um, this has been a while in the making. Yeah. And now I'm feeling a lot of pressure. <laughs> Why are you feeling the pressure? <laughs> oh, because at, at the start, when you were first starting, it's like, you know, you're just starting, be an early guest. You know, if it's not great, it, it's okay. But now it's like it's polished. I've been listening to them, and the the from your from your end as well. The um, I guess the quality of your the questions and the way it flows mm. through is just going up and up and up. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> I think yeah. Generally, I'm just a little bit less nervous now as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, true. But okay, so Peter Wellman. That's me. Cabinet maker. Cabinet maker extraordinaire, yes. Yeah. Um, what do you do? Um, Tell us actually, about your... Actually, cabinet is an interesting word because I, I never actually finished my apprenticeship, so I'm not a trade qualified cabinet maker. Mm. I'm more a cabinet maker through just hard knocks, experience, just mm. getting in there, making a mistake, uh, fixing it, just learning through that process. So just... Uh, start just tell us that story tell us from sort of the inception from where it starts getting interesting or where it's relevant and i'll just jump in with any any questions for along the way um okay well straight out of at school i didn't really know what i want to do i feel like that's a popular thing with a lot of people you know they're just sort of don't know where they want to go you know you got sort of parents slightly pushing you in a certain direction you've got school pushing you sort of say hey uni is the only option that's that's how i felt that it was so i actually went straight from school into doing architecture um i had a few options Uh, multimedia was another one so it's pretty broad from one end to the other but i just knew i'd like creating and that sort of avenue that didn't pan out for me I just didn't enjoy it I just felt like I'm back at school which was just slow and uh, just felt a bit boring for me you know you're doing like these semesters that are like 12 weeks long like I could smash this out in this six-year degree in like you know two or three years if we just picked up the pace a little bit and anyway that that was just my thing and obviously it works because that's how they do it Mm. um but yeah, it just wasn't for me. And I remember actually speaking to my mum about it and saying, hey, mum, I think I'm going to drop out of uni. And she's like, that's fine as long as you're, you know, you're going into something else. And then the very next morning she comes into my room, well, why aren't you at uni? I was like, no, I told you yesterday. Like, I'm, I'm out, I'm dropping out. And she's like, oh, okay. So I just made that decision. I just, just literally did not go back again. I don't even think I formally left. I, I may have like... Just not rocked up I one day. I turned up again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and from there I, I pretty much sat at home, did nothing for ages, just played computer games all day for like three months. Yeah, um, what definitely wasn't very motivated. I knew in my head I wanted to do something, but I guess I was just sick of doing, uh, always having to do something. Mm. But my dad got me a job at a cabin making place. Um, pretty much said you need to go do something, and I started there, and I just like just found it, picked it up really easily found it really i enjoyed it it was fun um i was like within three or four months um sort of overseeing apprentices that had been there for like two or three years um yeah i was just 
just a very different approach for me as well. I found that um, there were sort of like even even the bosses there like don't want to knock them or anything, but th- nothing was professional about the outfit at all. Like mm. I've come from, I guess, structured at school, structured at uni, to this place where like the boss is like throwing shit at you. you know? just, <laughs> everything's just sort of all over the place. Yeah. So you start working at this cabin making place and what are you doing? Just just working on the floor on mainly? Yeah, on yeah. a bench. Uh, w- it wasn't before CNC's, you know, yeah. this is only only 12 years ago now or 11 years ago. Um, but CNC's weren't very common at that time. So everything's cut, panel saw, cut by hand. Uh, the old school edge band, there was the 0.4 mil edging the middle mine edging yeah yeah, which was just snap um yeah we were just like pushing out kitchen after kitchen more like first second home buyer type houses yeah um from there i left that i went into i I didn't finish it a year and a half i just felt again i plateaued i was like not learning anything i'm getting a bit Mm. bored here uh i wanted to be a change what i wanted i wanted to get into uh be uh estimator for a building company that was like my thing. I love numbers and like crunching things and like figuring it all out. Like that'd be pretty cool. So I started going down that path. Uh, I sort of realized without again a uni degree or a tape degree, you have to generally be like an estimator for a supplier and then step up into that full house lot estimating. And I started estimating metal roofing, worked there for a while, moved into sales doing that, and then I just got back into kitchens just on my on my own. Went out there. Um, so you got back into kitchens in what way? What were you doing? Um, I started working with a guy that I used to actually work at when I did my apprenticeship. He was a bit older and we uh, he was still working there at the time and I was doing a few little cash jobs on the weekend doing kitchens and I enjoyed it again. I was like, good, getting back off the computer and using your hands. I found it um, exciting. I was like, you know, I'm going to... This is a business that I can do. I always knew I wanted to do some kind of business. So we started doing that. And I was in, we were installing joinery to start with for um, some huge companies, you know, just smashing out houses, first home buyer houses pretty much. Um, and, yeah, it was, you know, it was a means to an end. It got us started, built up some funds. And then we started, like, doing our own joinery. So got a small factory, started making it ourselves and, from there, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot of lessons through that first business. That isn't the business that I'm in today. Today I'm in Bassini Kitchens. And we were just like, I was green to it. You know, yeah. I was new. I was like pretty much giving the stuff away for free. That's how the price we were going out. There was not a lot of margin in it. Um, we were working week to week, every week, even though there was a sizable volume. Um, and that all came crashing down when... Mm one of our biggest clients went into liquidation. Mm. And I think at that point they owed us like, um, I don't know, 100, 150 grand, something like that. Because the margins we were working at were so tight, just through inexperience, it, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of meat in that as well. So most of that money was owed to other people. I was probably like 22 at this time. Mm. Um, and yeah, me and my business partner just didn't, I guess, didn't see eye to eye on everything. So we decided to part ways. And yeah, here I was, 22, um, literally like no money, living in a lounge at my brother's house in 
Clayton. Mm. Um, not even enough money to eat, literally. And like this, ma- we split the debt, so 60 grand debt, 22. And um, yeah, a bit like, uh, this isn't how it panned out in my head, how it was going to be like. Yeah. Um, but it, it does show how, I guess, if you don't take business seriously, mm. how dangerous it can be, I guess, for putting you backwards. Um, I actually remember going for lunch with my brother and a few of his friends and we are at um, Subway and they all had like Subways and I literally bought a cookie because that's all I could afford. I didn't even have money to pay the rent at the end of the week. I was like, this is not a good situation. Um, but yeah, just did what I know best and started installing again and just started going job to job and um, tried doing an online business with kitchens. Didn't really work. And from like an online retail kitchen, yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was, um, it was similar to sort of like Caboodle and IKEA and and all that thing, but without the limitations of set sizes. That was the concept of it. Um, but I quickly realized I need a bit of money here to sort of like bankroll this and market it and advertise it. And it it was actually a really good business. The problem was I needed money like then. Mm. I couldn't even pay my rent each week. So I couldn't wait for it to build up and become some whatever it could be. Um, and now there's quite a few businesses doing it online. So yeah, could have been the first, but yeah. Um, yeah, and from there I was just back to installing and doing my own jobs and um, just where I can. Again, still like at sort of lower end of the market, I guess you put it. Um, and yeah, it just actually, I remember this moment. I was at a, um, I was at this house, I was in South Yarra, and I was working. And I, I drilled, I was like putting a kicker face on, and I drilled through the kicker through the top of my finger. And I had to rush down to the hospital and stitched it all up. And I went back to the house because I had to finish it. And I was sitting there, and I was like, I was dirty, I was tired, I just cut my finger open and I was just looking out the window and this guy next door was getting a brand new McLaren delivered on the back of a flatbed truck and I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, what am I doing? You know, like Mm. I'm, I'm here like this, you know, finger throbbing, covered in shit and this guy next to us is just getting this like McLaren delivered to his house. Middle of the day, just like, just casual. He's out the front track. He's like, couldn't care less. And um, I was like, I need to like, I need to change shit up. I need to really start like thinking ahead more, start making more long-term decisions, stop planning for short-term, just like how am I going to make money today? So how did you transition from that head down working for the next payday uh, to pay rent? How did you... Because that's a pretty difficult place to transition into a more long-term mindset. Yeah, it was... Um, look, I guess it was just assessing things. I was constantly like an overthinker. Probably still am an overthinker. I look at a situation, I've probably thought of a thousand different outcomes before any of them play out and probably none of them would play out. Just the, uh, And I would just think about it. And, like, how am I going to get to where I want to get to? I ended up partnering up with uh, – well, I, saw, I knew 
So Bassini Kitchens was an existing business and I knew the guy that had started it. Now, he had a strong marketing and sales background through another large business at the time. But I could see that their behind-the-scenes part of it was missing. And I thought, there's there's an opportunity there. There's, like, someone that has the part that I don't know. They have, like, that sales knowledge, that marketing knowledge, that, that image and business knowledge. And but they don't have that technical knowledge behind the scenes. And again, I was, it wasn't that same day when I saw the car, but it was a couple of days later on a similar site covered in dirt. And I was like, you know, and I'd be thinking about this opportunity. I was like, oh, I think I can make this work. And I remember just messaging Dom, who's my business partner now, and saying, hey, mate, you know, how you been? How's business? And he just wrote back saying, great, we need to catch up. And then I think I've still got that message in mm. my LinkedIn messages somewhere or I might have screenshot it. And, uh, yeah, just from there we just started working together and it was just a great synergy. It just worked really well. He stuck to his side. I stuck to my side. We both just grew our areas and here we are today. Right. That was about five, six years ago. So just zoom in ahead today. So you've been in this partnership with Bassini, uh, with, with Dom uh, for five, six years now. And you guys are working in that higher-end architectural yep. space, residential? Yeah. How, how did that transition happen, I guess, from doing more basic stuff to doing the top end of the market? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I guess Dom sort of had this philosophy of rather than doing 10 kitchens, rather do one kitchen but go deep on it and at the time it completely changed the way that I looked at it and still today I'll talk to cabinet makers and they'll say to you well how many kitchens a week are you doing it seems to be a common question they ask you yeah it is yeah Mm -hmm. and but it's not relevant I don't feel it's relevant because you could be doing one three hundred thousand dollar kitchen a week and they could be doing 25 grand kitchens a week but it it doesn't really matter anyway um, but yeah, you'll you'll start noticing it a lot now when you talk to people. Uh, and just that that I used to have that other mindset of how many kitchens per week. And I, I found these notes of um, my goals from when I was like twenty twenty one, and it'll be like three showrooms and forty five kitchens a week and stuff like this. And there there was nothing about like revenue targets and margin targets and uh, increasing the value of the product and and anything like that. So I guess we just uh, – that that was an eye-opener. And that's what I mean about bringing someone in that had that business-focused vision mm-hmm. side of it. Every decision was from a business point of view, whereas mine have been more just from like a, a kitchen, a cabinet More, maker more of your own, you know? your own subjective opinion yeah, yeah. as what opposed to what's best for the business. Yeah. So with Dom's vision for uh, rather do one – fantastic kitchen as opposed to 10 shitty ones that sort of pursuit helped you get to where yeah where you are today we started doing more retail jobs Mm. so we were doing the mums and dads uh, and we would do because dom had a retail background through like a plumbing store Uh, we would do the home show every year Uh, we would meet people and it was just trial and error like you generally the jobs with the larger budgets would be a bit of an easier customer 
to deal with the more delightful experience i put it that way you got more creative with your design and things like that um we so we we did we started in that space which is a very hard space because the expectations change every single time some clients do not care if you're late but they'll care if you don't take your shoes off others are like you could turn up wherever you want but if you leave a small piece like pile of rubbish out the front like it's the end of the world uh, you're working with existing walls existing plaster plumber plumbing electrical everything the variables on every project were so different and the only one thing that we could control was the joinery really in it yeah uh, it, which we would we would get not every time perfect but we would nail it but these jobs would drag because of we get there and the plumbing's not right we get there and the oven cables in the wrong spot we get there and the floor's running out 50 mil or, or something so we were doing retail we ended up doing through one of dom's contacts a, a building joining for a building site i was like oh this is a little bit easier because there's no one else here the floors are level most time the walls are straight most of the time plumbing was there if it wasn't you call them they'd be there within like an hour and fix it and move the stuff we were in we were out we weren't focusing on any other trades and i was like this was this was great and, and, then it was and also generally larger contract sums as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it didn't start with the high-end market, mm-hmm. though. It was this, um, again, like more a medium sort of range. Uh, not not first home buyer, but definitely not like what we're doing now. And, yeah, it was just... But it was an experience. What we learnt through doing the retail, turning up on time, being clean, being presentable, communicating well, we, start, we applied all that to our building clients and we were getting feedback like you know wow you guys actually showed up on time I'm like you know what do you mean and, and they'd say oh in the past majority of cabin makers will say they'll be there on monday mm. and then like 10 o'clock monday i get a call saying we're we're behind and we'll be there in three weeks and things like that um which for me was just like oh, this doesn't makes sense you know i say i'll be there monday we'll be there monday mm-hmm. but that was because of what we were being used to uh and yeah they obviously wasn't that wasn't the normal for the industry and i thought geez there's a real opportunity to stand out here like just by hitting some basic targets of turn up on time be clean take your rubbish with you don't leave a mess on site things like that and that's what we started doing and it just started growing from there we just um, why why do you think the standards are so low in the construction industry why do you think this what why do you think there's this idea that every trade is light everyone is not clean it's everyone's <laughs> hard to deal with what where does that where does that come from why is that the case is it is it because there's not enough competition there's just too much there's just too much abundance of work out there so there's enough room for bad actors or what is it it's a little hard to comment on because we've moved from that i feel like we've shifted markets we Mm. shifted from a middle range into a higher range uh, more architectural market and in the architectural market i haven't found that as much and i don't know if that's a time thing i don't know that's because of us or it's because of the quality of client that we've been dealing with 
it it's still it's still more prevalent than in other industries. I think. Oh yeah. It's still it's still a, like doesn't matter whether we're doing a working on a twenty million dollar house or a four hundred thousand dollar house. Yeah. It's it's still there's still too much of it. I think. There's a, there's a lot of fact. Well, you you know you've got to join every business yourself mm-hmm. at the start when you're looking at it on a piece of paper and a set of plans. You don't know if this thing's gonna. You can take a guesstimate of how long it's gonna take. And that's all we really are all doing. We're just working out. Well, I think it's going to be four-week build, five-day install. Um, but that would be the same with your flooring guys, your plastering, everything. Everyone's just sort of going off, mm. last time it was this, this time it should be this. And then things start shifting, you know, like um, the flooring took a week longer. Mm. We've got another project booked in already in that spot. So now we're having to split our team and send half here and half there. And I feel like... It's not always that trade's fault, but it's just how you become. Uh, we we actually try to adopt something at the moment, probably in the last like six months to a year, where we become more agile, and that's a big term in like software. And I learned that more through my my brother's company, software company, uh, and that's how they they build things in a, like an agile manner. So you're a bit more like fluid, you're a bit more like happy to do sections at a time to keep things moving rather than just like. Everything has to be ready. We turn up on day one. We're out of there in three days, and that's it. Because it doesn't always work for the builder. Mm. Going back to like our people, uh, where does that come from? It might be habit. It might be tradesman first, businessman second. Like I did my apprenticeship at a place literally where the boss would like throw shit at me, mm. <laughs> like, like, and I'd look over and be like laughing and stuff. Uh, and the, that's the same person that's like not turning up on time. You know? um, yeah, may, maybe pressure because of money as well. There yeah. is an abundance of work and undersupply of trades, I feel, as well. Mm. Um, you do get squashed down with your rates a little bit. Not so much in the architectural end, but at that medium to lower end, it, it very seems to be very dollar-focused. Uh, because of that, you get in habits of get in, get out, get in, get out, overcommit, fear of missing out on extra work, so take on more than you can handle. Mm. Um, yeah. There's a lot of work out there, we were just saying, there's an abundance of work, but the, I, I still feel like the cabinet-making business, it just doesn't seem like, a, like an amazing business model to me. Whether it's the the high overheads, uh, the lack of scalability as you move into the higher end stuff, um, the labor resource expense, the heavy cash flow burdens, um, the the risk of inconsistency from job to job. What what kind of cabinet making business makes sense to you? Like where where does it actually make sense? Well, I feel what you're saying mm. because we're, we're about, let's say, six years old now. There's a bit before. We're officially, we were six in April. And we're going up against, on most of the, the tenders that we're doing the jobs, it's the same names of other places keep popping up. These guys have been around for like 20, 25 years. So it's very exciting for me that we're in that space already. And I feel like we're only scratching the surface of what we're capable of doing. I still see flaws in our process, flaws in our product. 
Um, but we're always committed to that that end result. We we just finished a project recently, uh, architectural project, and the um, supervisor said at the end, you know, thanks, it's been a great process. This is probably the first time a cabinet maker has finished before handover and have no defects list from the architect, the client, or the builder. And uh, which you know, that's good. It's great feedback. One, it's a bit shocking that that's like an industry-wide problem that we're not done before the job is done. But also, uh, for me, it's exciting because it wasn't a perfect process. There was so, still so much room to improve. And if we're already at that point where we're getting positive feedback like that mm. and I'm not even satisfied with where we're at, it just gets me excited. You yeah. know, moving but where, where does the business part of that fall into what you're talking about? I'm very much not looking at anyone else. So I can't really speak for how the industry as a whole operates. There is a bit of secrecy, I feel like, with joinery. People are happy to talk, but they're not going to, like, break down their numbers for you and break down. I've been, I'm, like, super open with you. Mm. We talk a lot about this stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity with cabinet making to, like, niche into certain areas of it, and it's starting to happen a lot. Most places now won't cut their own product there's you know some larger places that are purely just cutting mm. uh, carcass and doors and panels for cabin makers and you become more of um an assembly and a project management type business rather than a actually cutting the raw product um yeah i can't talk for others um, yeah but for you the business model works yeah it fine. works great for us yeah I've learned to slow things down. Mm. Like I used to be, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's take every job, let's let's get them all in. And actually our entry into this, I guess, architectural space, um, we sort of made a mess of a process on an architectural job. We lost a, a really good client because of that. And that was a big wake up <laughs> for me. Um, and I learned slow it down, outsource what you can to start with. Don't focus on like making the big margins, and then just slowly like start bringing it in house. Um, and maybe that's that's the model. You know, like don't worry about like you you were talking about setting up your factory and and all that jazz. And I said if I could do my time again, I probably would outsource things for longer, and then just be very selective of what I do bring in-house, start doing in-house to give me that control. Um, because, yeah, the cabinet-making business are very top-heavy on the top end with all the machines, $300,000 CNC, $200,000 edge banders, um, staff that you got in the factory, um, factory costs, power bills, like yeah, crazy. I feel like there's a there's a interesting sort of general mindset uh, that I see from other cabin makers as well, there, and there are some things that I think, uh, as a whole, we can hold ourselves more accountable to to create better results for ourselves. For ourselves, I think there's a lot of architect hating. There's a lot of builders are terrible. There's a lot of um, just. But not enough of looking at what we can do to make oh, 100%. The, the process better for ourselves. I don't buy into any of that. 
I see people complain about, oh, oh, they want this, they want that. Like, good on them. They're pushing the the envelope of what we should be able to deliver. That they're they're there purely to create things that have not been created. Mm. Our role is not to challenge like their design. Our role is to execute on their vision from the builder's point of view and the architect's point of view. Uh, like, I almost start rolling my eyes when I hear people like complaining about architects. Mm. Oh, they don't get it. They're not from this planet or whatever they've got no technical background like i think it's perfect you don't want them to know the ins and outs because it will start to like um shape what their designs like if i said to you draw me a come up with a new water bottle it'll probably look like another water bottle because or maybe a different shape or a different nothing it's not going to be like i don't know lie flat or something because your mind is so molded by previous and past things I find that's the same with the architects. Like they, they need to have creative freedom to push what the boundaries of what can be done. Yeah. And we're here to like, can we do it? Provide feedback that that's not really gonna work, but maybe we could do it like this to get the result. Yeah, for me, I think if you're gonna do architectural joinery, I think it's a big part of that is working with the architect to realize their design you know we're very yeah. much engineers in that sense yeah we're here to create a solution and a pathway for that design to be brought to life and i think a lot of guys are going to hear what we're what we've just said and they're like oh that is wanky as fuck bro <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> like possibly um possibly. like it's it's the truth and if you don't want to if you don't want to do that and you're competing with guys like yourself or me who who do care about that and who will provide that service? Yeah, then you're going to lose on that front. It's that it's that simple. Definitely, because I'm not a kitchen designer. I've over the time taught myself up oh, because I make kitchens. You know, I can design. And don't get me wrong, I can like plan out your kitchen pretty well, but it's not what I specialize in. I specialize in the execution. Specialize in making sure that that looks exactly like it was intended to look. If I see something that I think is, okay, that material is going to get damaged over there or that product isn't really right for that, but we have this instead, I will make those suggestions. But largely it's about execution on the vision. Yeah. I find most architects are pretty receptive to that sort of advice as well. Yeah. Like there's no, um, like if they spec a 20 mil finger pull and you say, you know, you probably want at least 25 for it to be functional. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, or, or like you, you know, you can't do, you know you can't do a nine hundred pocket door in a six hundred deep kitchen with a nine hundred yeah. gap between your kitchen and your island because you're gonna have no room. Like a lot of that stuff makes sense if you can make a logical argument for them. Yeah, uh, and the rest of the stuff, if you don't want to build it or if you think it's difficult, charge for it. Yeah, or just yeah. Don't do it. There's definitely or, yeah, or joinery components, something that looks, it will look great, but there's like a, a full week of a tradesman working on it just to create that. And when you put a price next to it and you hand that price back, it's a bit, you know, where's this price come from? This is huge. It's not that big. I'm like, yeah, but there's a process here. Anything curves. There's a process of layers and just takes time. As an example, um, you do like a little curve vanity and it could take a tradie a week just to bend up those curves and each day reapply layers and veneer it. 
and you think, you know, what's, where's this price come from? Um, and then there's that value management. So, all right, look, take these curves off and you're going to drop X amount off it. Mm. Sometimes they go for it, sometimes they don't. Um, depends who you're working with. Like some, some clients are just, they know what they want and they're not, I'm saying, just spending whatever. Mm. They are like price checking. They're going to negotiate a little bit, but most of them are pretty good. But then you get other ones. And this is why I moved out of retail because people were spending everything they had on this. You know, they got 50 grand savings and they spent 50 grand on their kitchen. Yeah. And they were like relentless. <laughs> but anyway, it's a different story. Yeah. What you said before about yeah. cabin makers reflecting inwards on themselves rather than outwards, I'm a massive fan of that. And that's uh, one of our biggest, I guess, ethos within our team. If If something goes wrong look at your contribution to the situation before you start looking at someone else. Don't say, oh, but Charlie didn't give me the right plans. Charlie didn't give me this. Charlie, you, you know, you need to look at it. I accepted the wrong plans. I didn't do my due diligence checking over them that this stuff wouldn't clash and, and whatnot. So I look at it from an individual level to a business level to um, all the way through. Yeah, I would definitely encourage... Uh, everyone to look at it from a from a uh, from an objective business perspective as opposed to making an emotional decision about yeah. how this situation is making you feel yeah. which is all all too common and I understand it's hard it's hard to you know it doesn't mean that I don't get frustrated at, at, at you know at architects when when you got four different versions of the drawing and they say oh just look at the transmittal to work out which one's the newest and and that you know they're, they're putting fridges in that don't fit in the spaces they've drawn and and whatnot. It is. It gets tedious sometimes. The it's back it's incredibly forwards. incredibly tedious, and there's so much admin involved. Yeah. And I can understand how how much time that takes you away from the tools if you are working on the tools, and how mm. you pretty much just I wouldn't be able to manage everything. You can't. But at the same time, you have to hold yourself accountable, I guess, because <laughs> there's not. Yeah. Not, no one actually gives a fuck about you. You have to look after yourself. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. Uh, you're spot on. We, accountability, like we've got some values that we run our business by. And accountability is one of the four values. Can, can you talk about that? So how do you create ownership with your employees though? How, how do you get them to, f to feel yeah. accountable? And I understand by your response, it's probably challenge. a work in process or, oh, or, or, or yeah. a challenge. Just a culture. It's a performance-based culture, mm. not a culture as in let's be all happy and laugh around and joke all the time. Don't get me wrong, we have we have fun. We focus on challenge, not stress. Uh, but it's just a deep culture that runs in your company. And that's why I think architectural joinery for a business at scale is difficult because yeah. to put on, say, to produce another project at a time that means you have to hire another team you can't just like there's a, a person can only work at a certain pace mm. you know, at that tradesman so that means hiring new people now those people personally through experience you can they can say whatever they want to say you can say whatever you want to say to them but the only thing that will get you that result is just time in the ring in the business six months in understanding on a cultural level, on a deep level, 
how we do things, what we do, why we do it. Uh, and that's why scaling fast, I found, is a recipe for disaster because you didn't have to just hire quickly. And you know, again, with joinery and like a lot of trades, especially a lot of stuff that you're prefab and then installing it, you could spend three weeks making something that takes two days to install or takes an installer two days to completely fuck up mm. <laughs> and undo three weeks worth of work and tens of thousands of dollars worth of product and lose potentially a client which would bring more revenue in the future so i don't really have an answer for you because mm -hmm. uh, there are things that we're doing but this is just what we do time in the ring is one because i find that the longer someone has been with us the more i can rely on them and i just know that they just get it they get us they get what we're doing here the second thing is we we do have mission vision values uh, we do uh, monthly team meetings where we recap them you know, i put people on the spot what's our mission what's our vision what's our values what do they mean put it into a situation give me an example where someone do the guys in those meetings do the guys think it's a little bit wanky and like why are we doing this they look they they do i definitely think they do like if you put yourself if you put yourself in their position you'd feel that way yeah and that yeah. there's a bit of an air of that when i'm saying it yeah. as well there's a bit of like you know come on guys i know this is a bit yeah. whatever but it it still gets to them like literally i've I got people now like our, um, our our mission to create innovative kitchens and deliver them seamlessly to our clients, enriching their heart, home, and lifestyle. Mm. That's a bit of a mouthful. It's like three sentences or something. I got like second year apprentices that can recite. It sounds like communism. <laughs> they can <laughs> recite the whole thing, but it's just like there's key words in there, you know. Uh, create innovative kitchens, deliver seamlessly to our clients, enriching heart, home lifestyle these are all like key components of what we're doing every time uh, we have values um there's it's a it's peak p-e-a-c mm. professionalism excellence accountability and care so but to see someone that's like been with it for six months be able to recite all these things even with the eye rolls even with the like you know zoned out whilst we're talking about it they can still do it. And when I say, give me an example of when you performed excellence when you didn't, and they say, like, you know, oh, well, um, you know, the, the guy on the bench next to me knocked over all his stuff the other day and he didn't realise and I helped him pick him up and pointed it out. Like, this is a very that's a stupid example, but uh, it just shows that, okay, they're thinking about it, they're becoming more aware, and it's just through repetition they just – slowly start to understand it and get it yeah. and i still look are we better with it or are we better without it well we're probably gonna be better with it than without it at least we're talking about it having the conversation yeah. provoking the thought making them want to be better um, generally the team that we have they don't fit with us they don't last kind of thing like it's that's just sort of how everyone is where we are now like um those are the mm. things that we do. Yeah. Can we talk about right. scaling, uh, scaling an architectural joinery business? So you spoke before about this idea of, well, it's, it's very difficult to scale when you're working in the top end of the market. Yeah. Um, 
whether it's you're saying if guys aren't on the team for long enough or they don't understand the culture or or whatever or having a full team set up to do another job concurrently yes i sort of don't see a pathway to how an architectural joinery business can be doing sort of more than five million dollars revenue very comfortably i just don't see it it's such an inconsistent product that we're delivering and and, and producing um and there are so many resources that have to be tied into uh, in terms of overheads to do that type of scale. Do you see this as a scalable business? Well, it's something that I'm working on at the moment. I definitely feel most businesses come to a point where it's time to transcend past the business owner's involvement in it. That's the sticking point. And that's with architectural joinery where it comes to a point where now you've got to start entrusting your staff that they have the same values and vision as yourself. They're going to start making decisions that you don't have to make, that you used that you used to make. That And that's what we're transitioning through at the moment. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult because, one, it's hard to let go for me as well. And then sometimes I'm, I get involved in things out of context and it is being sorted out. Um, yeah, it, again, it's so exciting. You, it's so, exciting. You have, so you have a project manager for on-site yep. stuff. You have a production manager for, yep. uh, for sort of overseeing the factory, ordering that type of thing. And you have a factory manager yep. as well for the guys on the floor. Yeah. So you have you have a lot of the bases covered. My eyes and ears, which pretty much, and it's working with them one on one training development. Now that's largely what a lot of my time is, like getting them. Uh, I guess still being an individual, but making decisions based on sort of like what's what's best, you know, through my eyes, pretty much. Right, uh, and that leaves you time to do to do to train, to manage, and for client. Re- the client-facing interaction. Yeah, I don't do a lot of the client-facing anymore. Um, my business partner, Dom, does most of that initial contact. I, I do more like, yeah, a lot of reviewing just to double-check things. Now my time is freed up a little bit more on that second set of eyes to look over things all the time uh, and to focus on that problem of scale. How do we get past this ceiling that architectural joinery companies seem to hit uh, working on it um, but keeping in mind being patient playing the long game it's not a rush yeah. it'll come with time it'll come with um, scale doesn't have to be overnight doesn't need to be rapid just that for me that one awareness of uh, like having guys in the team for a while to get the cultural uh, vibes into them lack of good words, uh, was a, a big thing because I was like, okay, well, maybe I can't go as fast as I'd like. I'm going to burn bridges as well if I try to. Uh, I'm gonna lo- you'll lose clients and you'll mess up projects. Every project's your last project, really. And, and just, just slow it down a little bit, go deep on the training, make sure that people that I do know know us well pair up new people with people that know us well so never have like a, a brand new person out on their own 
um, put him with someone that's been with us for a while so that those things start to transfer over. But again, it, it's it's exciting. It doesn't scare me. It's How do you transcend um, this problem? How do you transcend this problem of... So I've spoken to a few guys who do really, really amazing work, but the general sentiment I get is we do amazing work, the boys do amazing work because I'm on the floor directing the concert you know i'm I, i'm orchestrating it yeah. on the on the floor on the bench with the guys and that's how we do amazing work how do you transcend that because there like i said every single job is so different every there's you know we're building prototypes every single time how do you Trust and trust and and ha- well, well, it's trust. Trust, trust aside. Bit of trust. How do you incentivize your factory and y- your production manager? How do you incentivize them to be able to? Because there is so much focus involved, and a lot a lot of that focus comes from there is so much at stake. You know, yeah. like if we order quarter cut instead of crown cut, yeah, and and, and we're waiting ten days for it to be pressed up. Do you, do you like do you no, get, what I get I mean? you. mistakes do happen they and happen so a lot. so how do you incentivize and how do you like how does that happen because you're the first person who said okay I think we can do this through delegating it out to employees yeah whereas everyone else has said to me well you have to have your your finger and your your pulse on absolutely everything <laughs> don't get me wrong I do I am all over everything and uh at the moment, a project that I am heavily involved in will run a lot smoother than a project that I'm not heavily involved in. And I'm just being 100% honest with you now. Uh, but the, the other guys are still getting a result. But it's just a process for me of time, training, redoing it. I, I listened to the last guys who did um, from LVL Group and they said something that I agree with massively. And it was around, you know, if money can fix a problem then just spend the money and fix the problem. Uh, and that's sort of just how we do it, just learn lessons each time. In As far as incentivizing goes, I'm not one for, um, you know, like bonuses when you hit this and you do that. Not at the moment anyway, like I'm very open to everything. Uh, now I'm we're more focused on, I guess, like flexibility within the workplace. We try to have a... A, a workplace where you're not having someone breathing down your neck all the time. It's sort of here's your plans, here's your materials. Going out Friday, we'll come check. Well, it out I think afternoon. like to what you were saying about culture. I think culture is probably the most powerful form and form of incentivization. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, because that that really drives satisfaction and purpose. Yeah, and you would be surprised. Yeah. Like this is what I love about trades. Th- there's some very small things that you can do that make massive impacts. It's really not hard to stand out. Turn up on time, be clean, look good from presentable with your team in the factory. We, we had a guy come to us a little while ago. It didn't it didn't work out because he brought it. He was a factory manager, um, but he, he came from a place where yelling and like anger to get what you want was how he operated. I didn't pick it up in the interview. I missed it. And we put him out there and um, it just didn't it didn't work. He was very like, I could hear him yelling from in the office. And I was like, what the hell is going on out there? And that's just how he did it. <laughs> it was actually, a, yeah, it was a very interesting time. 
the boys didn't like react to it very well at all. You got to treat people with respect. Um, oh, I've had a blank. The, what was the question? <laughs> um, me too. <laughs> Went off on a tangent. <laughs> Uh, so we, we were talking about how do you incentivize guys and we're talking oh, about culture yeah, yeah, yeah. our culture <laughs> and, yeah, and, right. and you were saying how it takes yeah. very little to make a yeah. tradesman happy yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it's something came yeah. up when I was talking about him so anyway we, we would he'd been there for like two weeks and I was like okay I could probably work with this like he's got a lot of technical skill I just need to like learn to calm him down a bit this isn't how we don't yell at people it was like Second, we try and during the summer have a lot of barbecues. Last year, like, really threw out any kind of social events that we were doing because of the whole COVID thing and not knowing what you can do and what you can't do. And I think he'd been there for two weeks and we had a um, barbecue and my business partner like cooked up some sausages and we just Friday afternoon had some snags and some beers. And he said that in the 20 years that he worked at the last place, he'd been there for 20 years, in 20 years his boss had not once bought him a snack, not once put a barbecue on, not once handed him a beer. And he's like, here I am at this new place and I've like just had three snacks, two beers. We're having a laugh on a Friday afternoon. It's like a stray dog from the pound who yeah. f- <laughs> got some love. But it's, it's crazy. Like I've got another guy and he was, uh, hasn't, this year was our first, like first year where he's come to one of our work functions in the past 12 years at other places he's never once had a like a work breakup and these things for me this is the incentivize this is like this we're we're a business i take your job seriously i treat you as a professional we have uh, we have a there's trust in your actions you manage your own time we have growing your mind sessions which we call a gym session grow your mind Uh, we have monthly barbecues we try and do go-karting golfing stuff like that every couple of months every three months at the end of each year we have a like a big party it's not like a um like a piss up with the boys in the factory it's like a full-on we hire a function we hire a room we have like we had a band there we have catering we bring your partners it's like a full-on dress up in like it's something nice and right so okay so what i'm getting from you is is by creating an environment that that just take it seriously that breeds yeah. excellence that you know we're going to treat you in a very professional manner yeah. and we expect no less from you uh, in a and roundabout way it goes does go both ways so it's of, of course it goes both ways you know if we're if we're going to do these things to make this a great environment for you to give you uh, a, you know enjoyment a sense of purpose uh, and just a, a workplace that you want to come to we expect that you deliver what we want to do, and 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 that's, and that yeah. may sound, not you know the way I'm putting it might not sound nice, but that yeah. that that is, yeah. You know, ev- everything way. is, everything is transactional whether you like it or not, and the, I think the sooner we can sort of candidly talk about that yeah. and understand transaction isn't this this cold hard blue steel this this yeah. thing, um, I think I think the the better we're yeah. And, th- and what you just said makes a lot of sense to me. I just wanted to be a bit more professional because the, the trade biz, like when I did my apprenticeship, there was nothing professional about it. It's like the guys weren't taking themselves seriously. They're just like, oh, we're just tradies, you know. I don't know, like turning up with having like a ciggy and a can of mother for breakfast, you know, like that's 
and, and the, I'm not I'm not knocking them or anything like that. Like everyone's entitled to be how they want to be, but there's definitely a difference in mindset and attitude between the stereotypical tradie and the stereotypical like real estate agent or um, accountant or lawyer. There's going to be a lot of upset yeah. people out there saying with you saying that real estate agents are better than tradies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mean better. I'm not saying better. Better. Or everyone real is equal. estate agents are everyone better. Everyone is equal to me. We're all equal. We're all going through the same motions. But they take themselves seriously. You know, they dress the part. Well, y- you know what? the part. There's a lot of like I think society's got a lot there's a lot of society it's like you know the tradies like you said the ciggy and the um uh, with you know the, the the energy drink with the fast food with the on the piss every weekend on the gear every weekend with the um you know low IQ um talking in certain ways like that's that's been impressed on a lot of guys from yeah. a very young age yeah. like a lot of these guys you know 15, 16, they're, they're in the trade and that is the environment and that's... And it's not like guys don't want to be professional or don't or, or, or whatever. And what you're saying is given the chance and given the culture, they're very open to it. Yeah. Like, I don't but then again, so, and sorry to interrupt, like then again, no judgment. If you want to do <laughs> yeah. if you want to do all that, there's no problem. And I agree with you. I don't have a problem with that. But as business owners, we also have the right to create whatever environment we want to do and and if, if if we fail, we go out of business. Yeah, no, I, and look, I'm kind of happy if I ruffle a few feathers because it will provoke thought for people just to have a look. I, at I don't themselves. think what we're saying is controversial, but <laughs> no, no, it, but that's the problem. That's that's the standard. That's the given that you know they're a bit rough around the edges. It doesn't it doesn't need to be that way. That maybe they're happy to be that way, but I can see why it is that way. It's because it's like. It's roughness breeding, roughness breeding. That's roughness. the environment. Like I literally, yeah. like I said before, I was, I was in the factory and I was getting shit thrown at me. Like I don't, I turned up one day in like a high vis t-shirt because we were just able to wear whatever we wanted, and I was just like ridiculed. You're like, oh, look at you, you think you're better than us or something like that. Hmm. And I was like, well, I just want to look the part a little bit more. You know? And I haven't come from some like prim and proper background. Like uh, my dad had a panel beating business, probably like uh, in like this beat up shed and. Which is a very rough Melbourne. business. Yeah, like covered in <laughs> yeah. shit every day, like dirty. And I grew up sort of working in there. My parents um, bought this land to build a house, but never ended up building the house. And we like we lived in a shed, like four of us, you know, in a shed for like five or six years. Um, terrible student. Like I'm, so I'm not. I haven't come from some like well-to-do place. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is how tradesmen should be, or anything <laughs> like that, you know. Um, I just this is what I was talking about before with some small tweaks to what we can do. You can really stand out. Do you know what a better business. way? Do you know what a better way of of, of putting it might be without offending is, everyone? Is <laughs> just having a little, just just respecting yourself. Yeah. Just like like yeah, having have just just like what respecting. You're saying they don't respect. I'm saying they don't respect <laughs> themselves. I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying they don't care about themselves. Um, this is going to turn hey, into oh, that. I'm really not trying to like um, have a go at anyone. This is going to turn into that Goodfellas thing. You think I'm funny? <laughs> yeah, it's good. I just, yeah, I just feel like if we took ourselves a little bit more seriously, mm. then, yeah. um, but maybe that's why we're traits because 
we like a little bit of fun and we don't want things like super prim and proper and we don't want yeah. to be like all tied up in a suit. I don't want to be wearing that, that you know? to, to, you know, go, going to work in a suit every day and, yeah. and um, doing all that. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, okay, maybe the most politically correct way of saying it is is being more professional will likely generate you better business results. Yeah, I agree. In, in yeah, some some markets, some like I guess that medium to lower. I don't think they care as much. But for architectural joinery, all those more architectural trades, mm. definitely, because you're in a, you're really in a reflection on the on the builder as well. The client turns up, sees a bunch of trades working in the house. Someone's smoking in there. Someone's shirtless. Someone's like fucking. Hey, going, mate. You know the whole thing. Hey, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and it looks like they haven't slept for a week. It, it is like it is a reflection. Jeez, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm just offending more and more people every well, word I say. But yeah. it's it's a reflection on the builder, like indirectly, and it does. But when that client comes into a site, everyone's you know somewhat somewhat uniforming cleanliness. There's not shit everywhere. There's not a pile of rubbish in the corner. People are cleaning up as they go. Um, they're not smoking in the house. They're, um, there's not like cans of tuna on the floor and stuff like that, which is <laughs> seasonal. Well, I, I think it, it, that's a, it, it reflects passion as well. And I think people are drawn to passionate people. You know, people are very drawn yeah. to... And w- like what you were saying about being you know, representing the builder well. The builder, the builder, at the end of the day, cops it all. Like if yeah. you're... You know, and so they're paying as much as they're paying you for cabinets. They're paying you for a service and for good representation that aligns with their brand, yeah. which is which is huge because they're the people that they're dealing with in the markets that we work in. Yeah. But they want to stand out too. They want to be different. They they, they want to be they want to be professional in their delivery. They want the client to come in. They want the client to be greeted with a big smile from their trades. They want to be part of the family. Like we literally just finished this house in Turak and. The client told the supervisor, I think you're going to sell this house and I want, it, I want the exact same team again to build my next house. That's a, that's a really good feedback like for the builder because it's a win for them, win for us, mm. another project. Uh, they obviously enjoyed the process. Everyone was friendly there, presentable and clean. Um, yeah, and I, I don't mean to like, Shit on anyone. If anyone wants to be like dirty, oh, fuck rough, everyone. Then, <laughs> then, then they can. But I would just say, if you're struggling to get traction, look at the things you can control. You can control how you look. You can control how you present. You can control, uh, you know, what you say and what you do. So that's going back to that. Reflect on yourself, not um, everyone's a tight ass and they don't want to pay what I'm asking and stuff like that. Yeah, the whole industry is screwing us down. <laughs> we should band together and charge for our designs. No. <laughs> um, how come architects get paid more than us when we're doing all the shop drawings? Why do we have to do shop drawings? Is the architect not, when they're not doing their job properly? Oh, don't get me started on that. I'm, I'm a big fan of architects. I love them. I'm happy to do the drawings. Well, they're paying you, Peter. They're, the they're the ones who are paying you, so of course you'd say that. I feel like doing the shop drawings... Because uh, it seems to be a sticking point with a lot of people. We're in this same, uh, like a cabinet making forum. Mm. Which Facebook. is the best Facebook, which is honestly oh. the best Facebook group. 
if yeah, if you're a if you're a cabinet maker, it's what is it, cabinet making Australia? Cabinet, cabinet makers Australia. Australia. I don't know. It's it's the one. Got to get in there. There's like five six thousand guys yeah. on there. I think. Got to get think, in there. Yeah. The the knowledge that's been shared by people is just crazy, and people putting out their problems, and everyone's like helping each other. The problems solve it. But there are a few general themes, and one is like charging for designs and and things like that. I'm just not in that space, so I wouldn't really comment on it. But with shop drawings, I find doing your shop drawings is essential because as you're drawing them, you're figuring out is there problems in this design from like a is this going to clash with that? Is this hinge going to work here? Is this hardware that they've chosen going to work with that plumbing that we've measured from site and all that jazz? So I, I feel like absolutely essential. Yeah, what it also creates is a standard instruction set for your team to work on. Yeah. Could you imagine having all your guys, whether it's the guy doing the ordering or the guy on the floor putting cabinets together, could you imagine giving them a set of architectural drawing? <laughs> like the breadth, the breadth, you know, we have, you know, there are many amazing architects in Melbourne, but just how they detail everything and how they draw everything is so, so There's a lot different. of interpretation. There's yeah. so much interpretation. I yeah. mean... Half the drawings don't have carcass backs on them and, and, and whatnot, you know what I mean? So it's like... Sometimes there is that thing of when you look at a, a set of architectural drawings and you think like, okay, do they, do they actually want it made like this or are they just not understanding the material and how to make it? Things like, um, you know, like not drawing in end panels, for example. You're like, okay, do they want all the end panels concealed or they don't care but they just haven't thought about putting these panels in between things? And then sometimes I'll ask the question and they'd be like, some, sometimes we're like, no, nah, we don't care. We're just, whatever, just the cabinet. The other one's like, no, nah, no, nah, we want that, we want it to look like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, on a bit of a lighter note, end panels are a big sticking point, I feel like, with architects. <laughs> they like them hidden. <laughs> yeah, hidden and mitered. <laughs> yeah, 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 small small fillers, five more shadow lines to everything. And, yeah. Uh, which... Tell that to your concreter. <laughs> yeah, which I, I've got no problem doing it, but it's a team effort to execute a lot of that stuff. You need like fucking dead straight walls. <laughs> yeah. But now, again, not blaming others, looking at what you can control. When we go to measure, we've already looked at the plan. We do like pre-shop drawings now. So we actually, as soon as we get a purchase order and a plan, we will punch out those drawings, shop drawings, before we've even measured it. So we're actually going to the house with their plans and with our plans. And then it's the process of like tweaking the measurements. And that's yeah. that agile I was talking about before. Allows us to move a lot faster. I, I, do, I'm do, I do that as well. Reason being the shop the purpose of the shop drawings isn't the primary purpose isn't to show what the measurements are measurements are, it's to resolve design details. Yeah. It's initially you know, yeah. it's us agreeing with the guys who are, are don't like architects in in that it's not all detailed properly, recognizing that and going, all right. We have to give them our interpretation as soon as possible because it will take them six weeks of back and forth to get back to us with a final yeah. answer. There's approvals in there, so so you you know we just have to allow for essentially drawing, you know, doing the drawings one and a half times, yeah, and and understand that that's going to give us a more like yeah. a better, more controllable process. Yeah. Like with how uncontrollable everything is in the business we do, we have to try to control as much as we possibly can. I find the control goes once you get to site, largely, because in a factory it's controlled, at plan stage it's controlled. Yeah. I'll happily draw plans again and again and again because 
one person a week of drawing is a lot costs a lot less than and one day of an installer than, yeah. or like one screw. <laughs> yeah, they're making they're making a big mistake or yeah. like having to redo things or even variations. Like there's no um, I don't believe you can charge what you should be charging for a variation to like modify something. If you gave them the, the price of what you originally charged, they'd be like, the fuck? <laughs> not what do you this. mean? So in terms of if they want to want to add benefit an to the jo- my joinery business doing a variation to something. It's not worth it. I'd rather just get it right first time and push it in. So I'm happy to do revision and revision and revision of drawing and let them problem solve it at that stage and figure it out and visualise it rather than putting it in and being like, actually, I don't like the way this works. The, the, the thing with variations is like the the contract admin the architect always questions why is it so expensive or you know a lot of the time yeah. but then the thing is we're not actually making money off, off it right, yeah. once you factor in the extreme inefficiencies yeah. inefficiencies associated with yeah. like they don't understand that there's only that that you know when you're adding a, a drawer cabinet to the end you know that the panel gaps are different because because you, <laughs> you know one's at one drawer yeah. front's at the end and you're going to add another one and just all the all the problem that that creates for you, and you're starting again. You know, like now you got to load it up on the CNC again. You got to you got to. What are you ordering the machine? Or like what? What are you ordering? Someone off another machine. You yeah. know, like you just got to like off another project. And it's just for me, I'd just rather. I'd rather a longer shop drawing approval process, and less variations than than the other way around. But they come up and they happen, and, yeah. and we deal with them. So. Talk to us about um, the young guys coming up, young cabinet makers, apprentices, guys wanting to get into the business. What, some good things or some bad? <laughs> well, just just some general advice on sort of, I, I guess if you, just knowing uh, everything, joiners. just knowing all you know now, how would you, what would be your advice to them? Whether it's finding their passion, whether it's what market segment you think, which market segments they should look at. Or get out yeah. the trade, or, or whatever. Just, just what are your thoughts? Uh, I'd say you're gonna make mistakes, and like, just don't let that deter you. You're gonna, you're gonna fuck up. You're gonna royally fuck up. You're gonna lose clients. You're gonna burn money, uh, but just keep pushing through because it, that's all just a learning experience. I, I would say to myself, like, go back in time, um, just slow down a bit. But that. In saying that, like I, when I was younger, I was very like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I made a lot of mistakes because of it. But because I made a lot of mistakes, I learned mm-hmm. a lot as well. So maybe to say to someone to slow down maybe isn't right because you're not going to learn as fast. And Because that's not going to allow you to make as many mistakes as yeah. possible in the shortest period of time. Yeah. yeah. So like my everything that I've done has got me to where I am right now and I'm – super happy place and you wouldn't but change anything about what happened <laughs> uh, honestly i wouldn't because like yeah even with no i agree i agree with you like liquidating on me I, I still feel yeah we lost whatever put me put me way back but if it wasn't then could it have been a year later for like half mm. a mil or could have been two years later for like like i learned some real big lessons could have been when you had two kids yeah like <laughs> it could have been so many things yeah. i just i probably 
just just slow it down. Play the long game. You got plenty of time when you're young. Yeah, you got time on your side. What about the guys? I still got time on my side. You are very young, but I've got like again the businesses we're up against. The owners are like in their fifties, most of them. I've still got like I could just keep making mistakes for the next ten years, and still be younger than the mm. people that we're up against at the moment. So, um, but it doesn't matter. That's comparing to other people. I'm not. I'm just in my own lane. I just would now. I'm. I'm looking at things differently. Just slow it down. What about the guys who don't want to get into businesses and just cabinet makers who just want to work as cabinet makers? What's your like young guys coming up? What's your you know if your son like if your son was getting into cabinet making and you didn't have a cabinet making business or you wanted him to work on on his own, what would be like what would be some pathways in terms of? You know, creating a, you know a great career in the yeah, industry. Get off your phone. <laughs> no, I, I would. Uh, the group is going to love this one. <laughs> We've got him back on our side. Leave, leave your yeah, leave your phone at home. Um, no, I'd say just make sure you you find somewhere that is professional, but just be prepared to just get your hands dirty and go deep on it. Like I got, um, we have a lot of apprentices coming through. And I get rid of them as fast as I take them on a lot of the time because there's there's just seems to be this little air about it, like, oh, I can fall back on a trade kind of thing. Or I can just, like, oh, it's a bit of a bludge, it's a bit of this. I, I don't know what it is. Like, I haven't fully figured it out, but I just get people and it's just like, where's the go? Like, when I did my apprenticeship, I wouldn't go home until I said to the boss, like, okay, I'm done, can I go? And he'd be like, yep, you can go. But we'd be like, no, we've got to do that. Uh, I'd be making him coffees. I'd like have to clean the toilets. I'd like, and these days I couldn't even if I even said to my guys go clean the toilets. Probably the look I would get would be like, fuck, <laughs> you know, get a cleaner for that shit. And they can memorize the award back to front, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they can't. <laughs> but I would just say like, with when you're doing your apprenticeship, the money will come later. Like at that stage in your life, it's not about the money. The apprenticeship is an education. Yeah, you're getting yeah. paid pretty much to like... It's like going to uni but getting paid for it in a roundabout way. So make sure you're doing it at a place that appreciates you, that maybe a career path sets you into the right kind of work. I always say to my guys, like, we're building Ferraris. That's how I look at our joinery. Mm-hmm. We're building the Ferraris of joinery. So look for the places that are building the Ferraris. Depends what you want to do, right? If you want to smash out boxes on a bench all day then go some people love doing repetitive work then then go something like that but if you want something a bit more challenging if you want to be in the top five percent of what people are producing find the companies that are doing the top five percent of the work and go work for them and if you get knocked back straight away just apply again and again and again because persistence for me and someone that's like hungry i can see it and i want it there's a lot of work out there you know, I, I think it, it doesn't it doesn't take a lot to get into one of those really good places because no. they're always looking for yeah. especially as an apprentice. Oh yeah. Um, because there is a real shortage for skilled labor. There's a real there's a real shortage for guys who, like you said, care about what they do and are there to really better themselves. Um, I think to get 
an apprenticeship at an architectural joinery firm is uh, is actually quite easy because the owners are generally still very hands-on with it. They're go-getters themselves and they appreciate you know, someone that's like wants something and goes and gets it. So you could pretty much, you don't need to see an ad go up, just walk in. We had a guy start at the start of this year and he's a third-year apprentice and he came to us, uh, it was like the last week of last year, and he said, um, I'm going to resign from where I am now because they're not taking my trade school seriously. Uh, they're pushing it to the back, not giving me time for it. They're not, there's nothing, yeah. they're not, I'm just like a labourer to them. And um, I value it highly and I'm looking to move. And yeah, I said, okay, well, you can start Monday. Pretty much because I was like, it's done. This guy's literally just come. I've never had an apprentice. If I heard someone say it to me, door. if I had heard someone say it to me, my heart would flutter. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, this guy takes himself seriously. Yeah. He's put his career first. Like he's made the good decision. There'd be so many apprentices that are just like being used as cheap labor and pushed to the side. And you know, I'm right. big on apprentices being yeah. because they're the future. They're the next, the next generation. Just like. We're a generation right now, and they're the next guys that are coming through. Yeah, I mean, just a quick note on on, on apprentice. So my my cousin's a third year plumbing apprentice, yeah. and he just moved over to a different job. And um, turns out he'd only done one year of school, so yeah. he's he's like he's like just, he's like over a year behind on school, and he's not going to finish his schooling until fourth year, yeah. end of fourth year, and that and that's making a real making it a real pain point for anyone to employ him. Yeah, because he's going to be at school for twelve weeks in his fourth year when his wages are high and they can't put him on a job by himself either. Yeah. So that's like... So you've Especially got in a plumbing business, it's very um, trading time for money. So yeah. like his time taken away from the site is like, I guess, less revenue. Yeah. But so you just got to really be careful and really understand that an apprenticeship is about an education. Like you're there to learn. So whoever employs you needs to be providing you that education and not be using you just as cheap labor to yep. stack sheets and put boxes together that's why i left that's why i only did like a, a year and a half of my apprenticeship i continued yeah. it in my mind in my own way where i just kept like kept going and kept working at it and a sort of self-taught and then working with other people kind of thing but that, that's probably the other thing that i would say to them that apprenticeship is just a title it doesn't make you any less or any more than anyone else you're just yeah, you're another adult in the workplace. You could be, a, there's no reason why it couldn't be six months in and running the whole factory if you wanted to. It's just how you apply yourself. Yeah, how if you, you had the aptitude, it. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of guys who have that aptitude who yeah. could who could do that, yeah. That's it. And, and like every trade, it will go where you want it to go. You yeah. can be the guy that's, you know, 60, still going job to job, can't find anything stable, working labour hire or something like that, being placed different places all the time. Or you can be that. How old are you? 24. 24-year-old 24 owner of plot joinery. You know, like it mm. It doesn't – you decide where you're going to be. So, And I'm, I'm, I'm big on that. We treat everyone equally. Our apprentices are treated like tradesmen from day one, expectations like a tradesman from day one. There's a little bit of grace, obviously, and – you know, it's a training process and things like that. But your decisions around presentation, cleanliness, how you talk, how you communicate to people, expected mm -hmm. to be an adult. So uh, I want to ask for your advice. 
around that. So I'm I'm in the process of looking for a gun tradesman to join the business. <laughs> yeah, it's an eerie silence. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts around that? Well, if I want, let me know. <laughs> I can't you. How much extra are you going to pay him? <laughs> I'll take half the cut. <laughs> uh, look, you're going to find it's that thing of uh, what's quality to you, maybe quality to me. What's a gun to you, maybe gun not different to me. What's a gun to this person will be different to what's a gun to that person. Everyone has their own version of something like that. And I'm the same. Everyone's looking for the gun. Everyone's looking for the next person that turns up and you give them a plan and they just solve problems like a machine and they just they just get shit done and they communicate well and they're pleasurable to be around but they're also like focused and can get stuff done. Uh, you just need to, I would say, find someone that's looking for long-term because that stuff's only going to come with culture over time. Yeah. I, I doubt you're going to find someone, because if they're a gun, you're going to be paying for it, and they know it, and when they know it, they know they've got options, they can move if it's not suitable. You're getting to do things that aren't really um, suitable. And this is where I go back to, like, play the long game. Mm. Like, I don't want to come out of the gates like, fuck, let's go. And this might not be the right advice. You may think, no, nah, I'm going to go fast, and I'm going to go hard, and I'm going to going to get this gun um, but yeah I would just slow it down find someone reliable turns up on time presentable I'd probably go more like 20 to 30s age wise for you I mean I I would love for there to be like a counterpart to my business even um, like you were to Dom maybe yeah, in that someone. sense um, but I, you know I'm, I'm very strong on the on this, you know, on the sales marketing that you know we could rack up an ungodly amount of work, but there's no way, there's no way we could do it, right? The biggest strength of Bassini is one director is hard on one side, mm. the other director is hard on the other side. All I have to do is execute the product. I'm not worried about marketing. I don't worry about bringing in new jobs. Mm. My sole focus is that the projects that we do have get done to the highest standard possible mm. and to push what's possible every single time in terms of speed, yeah. quality, experience, the whole thing. Maybe find your, I don't know, find your, like I, I, I say I'm Batman and he's Robin too. You can yeah. find your Robin. Um, I, I can find a Batman, I don't care. They can <laughs> they can be Batman. They can, I, that, that doesn't bother me. Um, but I can understand what you're saying. Like this idea... Like I can imagine how incredibly liberating that might feel if you you know if your strengths aren't in the you know the networking marketing winning work. Granted, I'm sure you're you're fine at doing that stuff, but just having a singular focus. Yeah. Like for me, I just finished up a building project, building a couple of units, and just doing that, doing the joinery business with all my focus on the marketing, with all that, like that that spread out focus is extremely costly and. Oh very it, it, it's what almost painful yeah happen is you'll start going through these cycles like a sales cycle mm. big influx of projects you'll be focusing on your projects sales will drop you'll get through all your projects and like shit i need to sell again and you keep going through this like periods of craziness where 
fuck, I'm all hands on deck to get this project finished. Fuck, I need to sell. And then, like, you relax. And you go from zero to 100, zero to 100. This is what I find I used to do anyway. But when you've got a steady flow on both sides, continuous projects because you're looking after one side, continuous sales because you're looking after the other side, I definitely think you always need a business owner to be selling, to be doing that part of it because they represent you properly. They can make decisions on the spot. They're close to the money. Uh, but then you also need like someone close to the business that can oversee the operations to make sure your decisions yeah. are being made and executed as you see them. Um, I'll put it out there. People are listening. Charlie's looking I, for a, a yeah. business partner. Uh, <laughs> I think a joint venture yeah. that may turn into something. Yeah, I, I think I think the business partner conversation is. Um, yeah, it's it's not something that I'm sort of actively looking for. I think, but if if the opportunity comes up, I think I'm certainly certainly open to it. But it has to be has to be the right fit because you know, for example, right, I invest heavily into building my brand. I invest heavily into you know doing this podcast and yeah. doing all that stuff. How does you know and uh, you know whether it's even you know my personal brand and, and how that if you know, this is all to create infrastructure and leverage for. Uh, you know in perpetuity you know so how does that work with a business partner whose goals don't necessarily align with that you know that you know i do have sort of concerns you're you know, not going to the perfect match are you get a partner yeah so you know how long has that been a while or yeah like six years oh yeah six years so like you know then that um a good relationship has factors of compromise in there oh. it goes both ways yeah you know so you've got to have that same compromise in a business partnership. You're not going to find someone perfect. You're not going to find someone that's like they want the exact thing that you want. It's just not going to happen. But that's what yeah. makes them unique and that's what makes you unique. And it's it is all about compromise. It. So it, it, it is all about compromise. But I, I just want to – I'm just – we just have to be able to measure that compromise times it by five to make it – to be conservative – and ask the question, are we going to be able to deal with this? You know, like we have to, I think you have to really stress test it. Yeah. Um, but no, I, so the, the way that I'm going to go about hiring is um, my video editors are working on this, this video we've been filming where we spoke to a few subbies that, that have worked with me um, and sort of get their perspective on what, what their personal values are, what they think plot joinery's values are, how they align, how they don't necessarily align. And yep. why we've worked well together, and hopefully that creates certain profiles for the audience for someone who's looking for work, or maybe not looking for work but are inspired when they see the video to say, okay, I align with that, or, yep. or that sounds exciting to me, or I want to be on that journey for them to come forward. I definitely feel you're on the right path because the people that gun that you want, they're working somewhere else, they are. and they're not looking, and I'm. So you I'm need stealing, to get in front of their face. I'm stealing him from you. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to get in front of their face. <laughs> yeah. In a roundabout way. Because, like, my best guys now have been through people I know that know people and they're working somewhere else and they're not looking to move. They're not on Seek or Indeed or whatever looking for jobs. You just, like, you get in front of them, the right set of words that says, oh, yeah, maybe I should look at my options. And then they, they make the move. I still think, like for you with that, find that business partner. I think I've said this to you before. I would look at 
stick with what you're good at, go with the shop drawings, go with your branding, go with your marketing and your communication with your clients. There's going to be someone out there, similar age, maybe a little bit older, a little bit younger, that's in the exact same boat, but they're good at the other side. They're good at the yeah. manufacturing. They're good at the product. They're good with the cabinet maker. They're hungry. They're ready to go. So what's the Tinder for business? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe make a Tinder profile. Just like when someone connects with you, just put in the little thing. Looking, looking for, for love like, in yeah. business. Love experienced cabinet maker, but not too experienced. <laughs> Someone's yeah, gentle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that way you don't have to go into bed together straight away. <laughs> uh, supplier supplies to you, and then over time, three months, six months, a year, whatever. Like, okay, we've got the same goals, same plan. This is I'm pretty much telling you my story in a nutshell. As a Pacini started. I supplied to Dom. Yeah. And that's how the relationship started. I think ours progressed very quickly. Within like three or four months, I think we were already, okay, we're very aligned. We want the same thing. Yeah. It makes more sense to merge rather than to operate as two separate businesses. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But that's my two cents. Yeah. So what have you just, I just, just how I sort of want to wrap up, just want to hear what your goals are sort of for this year or moving forward. Oh, my goals change daily. Well, what <laughs> from, are they today? From, uh, <laughs> but I guess from like... That's okay. You're allowed to change your boutique, mind. Boutique, unmarketed business to global aspirations. You know, it does sort of change with my vibe. I'm about to become a dad in four weeks. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So a lot of my focus, thanks, is is around is around that. It's changed my perspective on things. Yeah. Uh, when I was maybe from like 20 to 30, I look at it, I've got 24 hours in a day. I'm going to put everything into... Um, into business because I thoroughly enjoy it too. For me, it's like my my muse, you know. It gets mm. me. I enjoy. It. Um, moving forward, I am looking to. Uh, we just move facilities like about two and a half times the size we're in now. Mm. Um, I'm looking to get that humming really well. Spend a lot more time with my kid. Yeah, that's my goal. Be there, be there all the time. <laughs> cool, beautiful. So yeah. Not too exciting, but dad mode, you know, goals have changed, perspective yeah. has changed. Yeah, and there's nothing the wrong. Mode. Now it's about the my wife and my future daughter, so. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind, and that's a beautiful thing. All right. Absolutely. Were you going to say something? No, no, I was, def- yeah. I was just going to just say that, yeah, I used to beat myself up a lot about, like, changing and, you know, obviously always um changing what i'm doing and how mm. i'm doing it but now i'm just at peace with it you know you just who you are who you are you don't need to compare to anyone else and just as long as you're happy mm. enjoying the ride things are good yeah then it's all good baby and Alrighty. Uh, yeah. let's end it i just realized i'm meant to be in morven right now at a site <laughs> meeting so <laughs> this oh ran on for a bit we were talking about execution and <laughs> um and this is why you don't want to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Ah, cheers, mate. It's been good. Thanks.